I think I wouldn't be as content with my life if I hadn't made the career change. And uh, I probably would. I look back at it and I'm like, well, I probably would have been retired by now and uh, doing something else. But I was getting to the point where I, I either had to decide I was going to try and go for working in law enforcement or I was going to have to give up that dream. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast fans, welcome back. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Runner's High, the only running specialty store here in Golden. You can check them out on the web at runnershighco.com. They've got a shop here in Golden, Colorado, and they just opened a second location in Morrison, Colorado, right there at the base of Red Rocks Amphitheater. So why do I love the folks at Runner's High? Well, Deb and Ken are an incredible couple. Both have extensive running backgrounds and pedigrees. They have a wealth of knowledge and experience. They are the ones that helped me back in 2015 when I started training for my first Ironman and was getting back into running. They put me on their treadmill there in their store and did a running gait analysis, helped me figure out what I needed for both training shoes as well as race day shoes. And I'll just share that they got me hooked on the Hoka 1-1 for training days and on the Newton lightweight running shoes for race day. And this protocol has worked beautifully for me for the last three years. Uh, It's also my only source of running and training nutrition both during and after i buy my scratch labs hydration mix at runner's high and they also just got me hooked on the tailwind nutrition vanilla recovery mix which i use after my workouts so they are fantastic they will absolutely help you get sorted with your running shoes as well as apparel and they sell some pretty amazing yoga pants too They are offering a discount to our listeners. If you mention that you are a Maximum Enthusiasm podcast fan, they'll give you 10% off running shoes and 20% off apparel. You can also just mention the last name Hotman, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, and you will be a friend for life with Runners High in Golden. So again, check them out, runnershighco.com. podcast listeners, welcome back. I want to start off today just by saying a huge thanks. So many of you have reached out to me by email and text and um, instant messenger and shared the way a, a podcast episode has touched you. And every time you do that, it leaves a huge smile on my face. I just want to remind you that you can listen to this on iTunes podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud. I definitely would appreciate your reviews, your downloads, your likes. Uh, It's hard to believe that we've had 1,200 or so listens in less than a month, and we are just going to keep going. We've got some really great guests that we've already recorded and some good ones on the schedule, so hang in there. I want to thank you for your patience as I work out the audio and technology side of things. This is definitely an area that we continue to make advances, and I want to thank Stu over at Relish Studio for his hard work editing some of these for me as we try to make the audio the best quality listening for your eardrums possible. 
Today's guest is Lance Enholm of the Boulder County Sheriff's Office, and I've known Lance since 2013. He's actually one of the first people that came to mind when I decided to launch a podcast, and I knew that his story was going to be good, and he did not disappoint. Right after we shut the mic off from our interview, he shared that he is afraid of heights, and despite that, he hiked all of Colorado's 14ers in a two-year time span a few years ago. And I thought, yep, that's Lance in a nutshell. He does the hard things. He pushes himself out of his comfort zone. He's always striving to be a better officer, a better leader, a better person. And he shares some of that work that he does in those areas on this interview. We're going to be posting a copy of his office whiteboard to the website, and you can see some of the quotes and um sort of motivational and aspirational things that he looks at every day when he's at his job doing very hard things. An interesting thing about Lance is that law enforcement is actually his second career. He was in a successful banking career before where he enjoyed a very cushy desk job and pretty typical eight to five hours. And yet there was this nudge to be in law enforcement. And he talks about how that nudge started for him when he was in middle school. And he did his best to override that nudge and push it down and ignore it. And then it kept bubbling up and resurging until he decided that it was a career he needed to pursue. And you'll hear that he actually didn't get picked the first time around by State Patrol, but he shares that everything turned out exactly as it was supposed to. I found this talk incredibly inspiring and motivating, and I suspect that you will too. So enjoy my guest, my friend. Commander Lance Enholm. Okay, wait, go ahead and say that again. What did you just say? I said two is one and one is none. And that's your philosophy and everything? That's my philosophy and everything. So the concept is be as prepared as possible. Always. 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 So I'm sitting here with Commander Lance Enholm of the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. Lance, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Megan. I'm excited to be here. Snuck that right in on, didn't you? (laughs) And by excited, you mean... This is the last place you'd like to be. Probably. You said something really interesting to me before we started, which was you have to stretch the limits of your comfort zone. Yes. And so... Yeah, I'm not comfortable being here right now. And I feel like that mentality plus our friendship is the only reason you're here, probably. A big part of it. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm thankful that you're here. Thanks for doing this. You bet. You know, my first question for you is how does one come to be a SWAT commander, and I want to go back to basically high school. What is the, the story of how someone says that's where I want to be? Um, well, being a SWAT commander, can, you can get to that a bunch of different paths. Um, for me, it, it goes back to when I was in junior high and wanted to be a cop, and I realized I wanted to be in law enforcement all the way back in junior high. And there's a story with my brother that kind of illustrates how that came about. I'd love to hear it. But uh, essentially, um, to be a SWAT commander, you just work your way up through the organization. You take on more responsibility. Um, in theory, you demonstrate leadership. Um, you understand tactics. You can see a bigger picture. Because um, SWAT missions carry with them a lot of liability and uh, potential for things to go sideways really quick. You obviously have to be a good leader because you're leading a team in those types of operations. That's what they say, yes. And for our listeners, you'll learn that Lance is very self-deprecating. He, uh, 
uh, he doesn't take credit for the skill set that he embodies. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that too. But so what happened in junior high that made you say, I want to be a cop? Because that's a pretty young age to know that. Yeah, so it's kind of a unique story. My brother and I um, both were going to the same junior high, and I'm a couple years older than him. And he got busted for selling dope um, in school. Entrepreneur. He took a, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, but he took a completely different um, path in life than I did. And uh, so, um, being the older brother, and we had a single mom, um, I felt it incumbent upon me to kind of figure out what was going on and see if there was something I could do. And I met with the two detectives that arrested him. And I was so impressed with just the feeling that they didn't lump me into the same category and they treated me as an individual and uh, they told me what they could about the case but it just made me respect I've always had a respect for law enforcement and authority figures but more so then and you would have been what eighth grade yes yeah and so you're in a room with two male detectives and they're having a very adult conversation with you I imagine yes and something about their demeanor and their discussion with you was really impactful. Yes, and, and that was so long ago. Um, you know, I don't remember the exact specifics, but it stuck with me. And then I worked up at CU um, just doing concessions, not, not anything big. But I got to meet a bunch of the CU cops up there and uh, fronted a couple of them. And um, again, same sort of thing. I just had a lot of respect for them and the way they carried themselves. And, and then when I worked at the bank, um, I had the opportunity to work with the police department even more so when I was directing the Boulder Boulder. And again, I just my interactions with all the, the law enforcement officers that I had um, just kept driving home that point. And I didn't follow up on it for quite a while because I had great opportunities at the bank and they kept giving me more opportunities and more promotions and with the family life and married. I didn't pursue it, but I, I finally had an opportunity when I was part of an optimist club and the sheriff's office came in and gave a presentation on their reserve program. So a reserve program, if you're not familiar, basically means you can learn to be a cop and you do it for free. And you keep your day job. part time, keep your day job. And that was the way I sold it to my wife then and my family is I'll continue to be a banker and have banker's hours and make good money and safe and I can go essentially play cop once in a while and but I knew as soon as I got into it that that's what I wanted to do and eventually it would land me a job somewhere so and I've known you since 2013 and this is the first time I've learned that this wasn't always your career I had no idea Um, that there was a pre-law enforcement career so that's even more fascinating to me because it's like every thread of you. It just seems like such a great fit and just a good, you know, pairing. I, I, I've just been really blessed in a lot of ways. I um, the, the job I had at the Bank of Boulder, um, I owe a lot to the president who was there at the time. He saw something in me and gave me opportunities that nobody else would. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I was I had the opportunity to direct the Boulder Boulder for three years as the race director. I was like in my mid-twenties, and this was wow. his baby and his brainchild, and uh, there was a lot of pressure that came with that, but uh, anyway, he, 
he's kind of the driving force behind who I came and my work ethic and that sort of stuff. And probably one of, ironically, one of the most difficult things for me to do was to, was to go him. to him and tell him that I was leaving. So it, I'd love it, to hear He was incredibly, he's, he was incredibly supportive then. He's been supportive of me my entire career um, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And um, we still stay in touch. couple things in there I want to follow up on, one of which is it's, it cannot be easy to walk away from a successful banking career and completely pivot into something else. You've worked your way up the food chain, then of course you enter law enforcement. You're going to start back on ground zero, and, and I mean, it's very much about rank and earning your way up in law enforcement. Um, complete that's, 180. Yes, but that's where I feel like I was blessed because I initially applied to the state patrol and didn't get accepted. The first go around, which again I think is a is a blessing because what I really wanted to do was work in the community that I had grown up in. I've lived here my whole life, and so when the sheriff's office, when I saw that opportunity in the sheriff's office, um, it was going to satisfy that desire, and I wanted it so bad that yes, I went from working a making eight good to money five job, making money, um, took a huge pay cut. And benefits and went from Monday through Friday to working night shift on the weekends. And uh, that, was a, that was a good thing in a lot of ways because it really it tested fed, my, it fed my appetite for the job. It, uh, there were some negatives from this job and I, it cost me a marriage at one point. And uh, I've recognized that now and trying to mm. balance it out. But... What I'm sensing from you as you're telling your story is that there was something in you that just knew, like you could have tried to suppress that desire to get into law enforcement. You could have kept pursuing the banking role, but I suspect at some point there would have been a moment when you would have, have still pivoted to this career because you just felt such a strong desire to pursue it. Well, yes. Um, I think I wouldn't be as content with my life if I hadn't made the career change. And, uh, I probably would. I look back at it and I'm like, well, I probably would have been retired by now and uh, doing something else. But I was getting to the point where I, I either had to decide I was going to try and go for working in law enforcement or I was going to have to give up that dream. I was mm. getting, I mean, I was 30, roughly 33 years old. It's not an old man's game when you're trying to keep up with young kids that are running <laughs> from you and stuff. And so it got, it, I think that everything about it, the timing worked out well. Um, for me personally, at the time, it was rough on my family, uh, but they understood that that's what I wanted to do. I made some decisions later in my career that didn't help with that, but early on, they were very supportive of me. The heart wants what yeah, it wants. They were, they were, I think they were proud of me making that change. Well, and you made a comment just a moment ago that you wouldn't be as happy with your life if you hadn't done it. So, you know, a lot of this podcast focuses on sense of purpose. And you left what most would consider a very cushy, successful position to pursue something much harder, much more demanding because of purpose. I don't know if it is, but I, I just love the job. And I love every aspect of the job. And I enjoy helping people. And I enjoy being a law enforcement officer in, again, the community that I grew up in. In some ways, that helps, right? I know mm -hmm. people. I made right. a lot of connections at the bank. 
that have been helpful to me through my career. It also makes it difficult when you run into somebody that you know. And they've done and something maybe, bad. Maybe you need to take some enforcement action. But, sure. Uh, I've always treated everybody with respect. And I think that's bought me a lot in, in their eyes as well. I know for sure that, uh, again, I go back to the timing of it. I, I'm amazed that we have deputies that come to work for us and they're 21, 22 years old. I, I know, I'm confident that had I pursued that dream at that point, I wouldn't be a cop now because I didn't have the maturity, I didn't have the life experience, and I probably would have been um, badge heavy and would have gotten in trouble and would have lost my job. So everything, I, I do believe that there's a reason everything happens. And while I'd like to have had that 10 years more being a cop sure. and that experience, and um, I recognize that that's, there was a reason it happened the way it did. And state um, patrol's loss, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> they have me come down and give presentations at their academy for some reason. But, Things come yeah. full circle, don't they? Yeah. So Lance, when you think about those officers that you met when you were in eighth grade and then the ones that you dealt with at the football stadium, do you see yourself the same way that you saw them? If you're the eighth grader looking at you now, do you demonstrate those same traits that they did? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I really try and treat people with respect uh, of whatever... Whatever their background, age, it doesn't matter. I, I've taken a lot of pride. This is something maybe some people don't know. I take a lot of pride when I was on the road because I'm, I'm not out on the street much anymore. Mm -hmm. when, I was a, when I was a deputy and making arrests, um, countless times people that I would arrest would thank me when they're at the jail or shake my hand and thank me. And they certainly didn't want to be there. But... I think the way I treated them... Um, One human to another. Oh, yes, and realize that because of whatever happened, I'm not the judge of them. I didn't judge them. I just had a job to do. They met some criteria that they needed to go to jail, and I did it, and I treated them with respect, and I understood how traumatic that can be for you know the normal citizen. you yep. got guys that are recidivists, and that's a little bit different. But for the average citizen who's... First encounter. Going to jail, getting handcuffed, and going to jail, and no longer has their freedom. Uh, that's a huge deal. Yep. It's a huge deal, and and it took me a while to recognize that because when I first started, I was on the, nights. I was on night. Well, I was on nights, but I wanted to, I, my goal was I I initially thought it was take somebody to jail. I thought that was the goal. You take somebody to jail. So my goal was I take somebody to jail every night. And if I didn't take somebody to jail one night, then I take two people to jail the next night. And I, I don't I couldn't tell you when it when it really hit me. There there obviously was some either building of it or some watershed call, but I recognize that that's not what being a law enforcement officer is. And um, that my job is to enforce the peace using the least amount of enforcement action that's necessary to get somebody. So you start learning how to read people better. And uh, hmm what's going to be in the best interest of everybody. And so I moved from arresting everyone I could to uh, taking more appropriate action. So, and that's what I try and pass on to the new deputies. 
So as a SWAT commander, you're not only responsible for yourself in a, what I imagine to be a pretty chaotic situation most times, frankly, even in training, um, but not only are you responsible for yourself, but you're orchestrating a team endeavor. And so, you know, without naming names or dates or locations, is there one particular mission that you're most proud of that really, as you reflect back, you think that really allowed me to use my talents well and I feel like I led my, my team well? There's probably been a lot. So, so there isn't. Um, my philosophy in life has always been to always get better and always try and learn from everything. Whether it goes right or it goes wrong, I always try and better myself. And so there probably isn't a single call that I don't step back and I'm like, oh, I should have done this oh. differently or I should have done that. I could have done that better. Um, law enforcement, I'm sure you can imagine this, but law enforcement is one of those things where you can do every single thing right and it can go it still can go sideways on you and you can get people get hurt cops get hurt people get killed um, and sometimes you've done everything right and it still you can't affect that outcome so to answer your question directly there isn't a there isn't a single call that stands out mm. to me um, in particular because you're Just, always thinking you can improve somehow yes huh and you said something interesting when we were when I was setting up the equipment, which was along the lines of when you're the leader of the team, when everything goes well, you sit back and you let the team take credit. But when things go sideways as the leader, you're the one that's going to take the fall for for things not going according to plan. Is and that seems to be how you live, really. I, I like to think so. That's what I try and demonstrate every day. My job is to support those guys, whether it's the SWAT team or any other work groups that I have, but my job is to support them. And ultimately, the buck does stop with me on a mission. So if everything goes like it's supposed to, we have a successful mission, then I pass off those accolades to all the guys that did the work. And if it goes bad, um, I take ownership of that. Wow. And I have to. And I don't know. If I don't want to digress too much, but there's a yeah, there's a book that was written recently by a Navy SEAL called Extreme Ownership, and uh, it's been one of the most impactful leadership books that I've read. I try and read all the time or listen to them on audiobooks, and I've listened to it several times, and I can't, uh, I couldn't tell you all the content, but I can just tell you that the thing that stands out to me is a leader has to own everything in his world, and it's wow. ultimately his responsibility. So that's big. I mean, my impression of the society is that we could use more of that in corporate America yeah. and elsewhere. I think so. I don't think you pass the buck to somebody else. Right. And ultimately, it is my job, right? I'm supposed to oversee that team. And if something doesn't go right, somewhere along the line, it was somewhere along the line, it was my fault. Wow. Either I didn't. I didn't communicate the commander's intent properly. I put somebody in a position they weren't trained or capable of doing, or I should have known that they weren't the right person for that. I should have foreseen a, hmm. you know, something that's predictable that we should have prepared for. So. That's a lot. That's a lot of responsibility on one person's shoulders. Yeah, I share it. I try and share it. But, but I also gather it's the part of your job that you like the most. 
being a team leader? Or correct me if I'm wrong. What is your favorite part of the job? I don't know that I have a favorite part. You like it all. My job changed dramatically a couple of years ago. And I didn't think I would enjoy my current work assignments. But uh, I've embraced them. I do enjoy them. And uh, I'm trying to learn so that whatever my next assignment is, I can apply what I've learned here. So the SWAT command, there's a, there's only a few things, I guess to answer your question, Megan, there's only a few things in my career that I, that I actually drove hard to do. I wanted to be a canine officer, and I did that. I wanted to be on SWAT, and I did that, um, both at two years. I wanted to be a field training officer, an FTO, and I got that all about the same time. Wow. That's a whole other subject about how that impacted my life. But I got those things. And then as I was in SWAT, I was completely happy being an operator who got to kick the door in or throw a flashbang or whatever. That's what I, that's what I enjoyed doing. And, but as time progressed, and I realized a couple things. One is I'm old and I can't, I don't have the physical capabilities that the young guys do anymore. And uh, so I recognized that uh, there's some, maybe there's some things that I could help the team with. So I, I invested a lot. I guess this is one thing. I've invested a lot of time and money, my own time and money, to better myself in that command. I've As a leader. To, yes, I've gone to conferences that I've paid for. I've taken my own time to go to. I've spent a lot of time with other SWAT commanders or other people in the community outside of work to to really to learn the leadership out, find, yeah, find out what's wow. worked for them, what doesn't, how they structure their team, and learn from you know every mission. There's always learning points, so I love to talk to them about getting an AAR after a mission and see what worked and what didn't, and that sort of stuff. So that's I guess to answer your question, that's the only that's one of the few positions that I really wanted, that I really was looking forward to getting at some point. So what advice would you give to someone who's potentially struggling in their leadership role because it is one of those things that doesn't always come naturally for people um, and I feel like sometimes we will be put in a leadership position by virtue of our experience, by virtue of our training, by virtue of our personality, kind of whether we want it or not. Um, so it sounds like one thing I'm hearing you say is, you know, put in the time to do the work to learn how to be a good leader. Um, but what other suggestions sure. would you have? I think that's it. I think that every... I, I believe generically, it's not that doesn't hold true for everything, but I believe generically that all of us in some time or another are leaders. Mm-hmm. And it, to be a leader, you have to be a really good follower. So I, I really encourage people to study followership and what that means and how they can become a better follower. Because again, in the long run, I think it makes them a better leader. That's a great point. And uh, as far as there's that whole argument, are leaders born or mm-hmm. are they made? And I, I don't know the answer. I'm still searching for that answer. Different people you talk to will give you different answers. I think it's, I, I believe it's actually a little bit of both. So I don't have the charisma that born leaders have per se, but I've tried to make up for it in studying and improving my skill sets and in that way. So it's I, just like everything in life. There's 
there's only a couple things that are definite, right? Like death yeah. is definite. Yep. But everything yep. else she can continue to prove on. And I think I, I think you're either whatever it is, whether it's leadership or cycling <laughs> or weightlifting, whatever it is, whatever thing you look at, you're either you're either improving or you're degrading. It's one or the other. You ne- nothing stays the sure. same. And you need to put forth the effort and sometimes that comes at a personal cost and so and you know maybe we'll go there for kind of our last area of conversation which would be kind of along the lines of you know you and I have talked pretty openly about burnout and filling our plates full and and we've both shared that a lot of the stuff on our full plates are things that we enjoy but nevertheless they stretch us quite thin and we've talked about how you have to fight for it almost every day to maintain that quote balance you know that we're all seeking and um and so I know that's been kind of a journey of yours too because you're wearing all these hats but it's things that you enjoy and yet there are so many hours in the day and so you know what advice would you give for people who are struggling you know obviously I know neither of us have found the answers yet but in your exploration what have you learned or what have you discovered that served you well well, I, I, I read somewhere, and I, I couldn't even tell you where, um, I don't remember, but it really struck a chord with me, and that is that I changed from fighting for balance in my life to understanding that there's counterbalance. And so oh. I work hard, and I put in a lot of time when, I, when I'm at work, and I give it everything I have, and then recognize that when I take time off, my goal is to get away from work and give everything I do to whatever that is, whether I'm skiing, cycling, vacationing, whatever. I, I try and counterbalance it. I don't think it'll mm. ever be equal. So That's a great approach. Um, I'm not sure it works all the time, but that's what I've, that's what I've found works for me. Because when I, when I look at... A week, like most of my weeks are in our 60-hour weeks. And when I look at that and come Friday afternoon, and I'm like, man, this is another five, fifth day, 12-hour day, and look at what I missed out on at home or exercising or going for a hike, whatever it is. Um, that's how I have to look at it, is that I've got, I, have a, I had a two-week vacation not too long ago, Scuba diving, I've got another one coming up um, touring Europe. Awesome. I'm going to go for two weeks. So I, I find the time to. My wife doesn't like it, I work so much, but I think she accepts it because we do get those trips yeah. together. So, not just work hard, play hard, but also what I hear you saying is have something ahead on the horizon to look forward to, to yes. kind of give you a little bit of like mental stability knowing that there's a break coming. And then also be fully present for whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. Don't be treading both kind of all the time. Can't do it. And so do you think that your feelings of burnout have diminished a bit now that when you are gone on your trips, you have been so good about unplugging and really being, you know, fully disconnected from work? Is that helping? Sure. It helps sometimes. And then, you know, sometimes you come back to a thousand emails and you're like, "Ah, I should have dealt with it while I was gone. And um, so what I have done like on our vacations, I do um, tell my wife I just need 15 minutes. Let me just go through emails, figure out which ones I need to keep. I, I typically don't respond to them. I'll put them in a folder to deal with when I get back, and I can eliminate a bunch of them. And then at that, 
does give me some comfort that when I come back, it's not going to be overwhelming. Lonely. That's a great yeah. approach so. for a limited time frame. Right. Yeah. So, um, so Lance, you know, law enforcement is hard. And I'm sure you've seen some really hard things, and you probably don't see the best of humanity. Um, no, people don't call us when they're celebrating. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Come look at this good thing that I did. Um, but, you know, so what advice would you give to our listeners who are maybe um, just faced with hard things? You know, every time I've talked to you, and I've known you now for five, some five, six years, you've always been positive. You've always been optimistic. You've always been encouraging. You've always been supportive. Um, like, is that just Lance at his core? Is that something you work at? I mean, I don't see any of the negativity from your job in your personality. Yeah. Is there? There is. But, um, I think it's a couple things. So you're right. This job can really wear somebody down because you typically, people call us when they're having their worst day and you see some pretty horrific things. And, um, I mean, I've had three friends that have committed suicide um, because of some of the baggage that they carry from the job and that has an impact and I've seen others leave the job because of it but um, for me there's a couple things that have helped me get through it and uh, I think stay pretty healthy I'm sure that if somebody was to have done a snapshot of me when I started and where I'm at now there'd be this huge difference what would they um, see in a number of ways I, I don't know what they would be because I, I think I've grown um, personally and professionally and my outlook on life and that sort of stuff but where I was going with that is that I uh, I have a I have a good ability to compartmentalize the bad stuff that we see and deal with it at the time and then put it away in a box and typically that doesn't come back out and haunt me I do believe that uh, there's always something more you can do. Mm-hmm. So the three strikes and you're out rule really doesn't apply. There's always one more thing you can try when your situation's dire. But I think the mm-hmm. thing for me, and this might not really, the, the listeners might not have this opportunity. Again, I, I see people in their worst possible circumstances. So it, it hit me a number of years ago that no matter what I'm dealing with, they're, I'm still blessed, right? Somebody else's mm-hmm. life is worse off than mine. They either have troubles in their family or their disabilities or they're not as capable or whatever, whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's always a silver lining somewhere and you just have to look for it. And so you focus on your be, blessings. Things will be better the next day. It's, it's, I don't think anything is as bad as you really think it is, or, or you anticipate it's going to be. And if you just lean into it, work through it, you'll come out of it on the other side stronger hmm. and better. And um, so. Just like being on a podcast that you like don't want to be on. Just like being on a podcast that you don't want to be on. Yes. <laughs> but you're handling it so beautifully, Lance, and I'm so proud of you for leaning into something that makes you so incredibly uncomfortable. So if we were to fast forward to your funeral, what are they saying about you? What do you hope that they say about you? I have no idea. What do I hope they say about me? What do you want to be known for and remembered for? Um, I, I don't think about my death. I guess 
off the top of my head, I would want I'd want something about he was a he was a really good guy. He was authentic. He was truthful. He had integrity. Um, he wasn't selfish. He tried to make the world better for those around him. And, uh, he tried to make it better for the guys he gals he works with and his family and friends. And that's certainly my impression of you out in the world. The world's better because of you and what you do. And so, you know, on behalf of the communities you serve, thank you for what you do. Um, Any parting thoughts, any last advice you'd want to share with our listeners? Any suggestions, anything? Wisdom, favorite quote? Uh, Well, I I do have a favorite quote, but I don't know that it necessarily applies here, but... um, like I said, I go to a lot of leadership presentations, that sort of stuff. And there was a retired colonel from the Air Force who's down at Colorado Springs now actually gave a presentation. But his quote was, um, my true best effort every time in full compliance. And for my world, that really struck a chord because I do believe that we have to give our best all the time. People's lives sometimes depend on it. Your coworkers' lives depend on it. Um, even your own personal sanity and mental health relies on it. You don't want to have something go sideways on you and then be looking back at it and think, right. well, if I'd just yeah. done a little bit more, if i just trained a little bit harder, if i just you know, driven a little bit faster, whatever it is, I think that that really has helped. And then um, there's a reason that we have... There's a reason that there's policies and procedures and that sort of stuff. And people get killed, not just in this. His story, the colonel's story, was about um, Air Force pilots that weren't following procedures and they crashed their plane into the side of a mountain and killed themselves. And if they had been following their procedures, oh. they would have still be they'd still be alive today. And so that really struck a chord with me with our in the profession we're in. We have things. There's and a lot there's of a, rules. And if there's a if there's what he called and I like the term. You a can brown use. rule that, you know, is a BS rule, then you work to change that. But otherwise, there's things in there for a reason. And follow mm-hmm. those rules. So Sounds like good advice for society, too, since you're the one that's dealing with those who yeah. violate them. Yeah. Follow the rules. Thanks, Lance. Sure, Megan. You survived your first <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.